The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. And just to kind of catch you up from, from where we're going and where we're headed to, we're talking about intervention. It's a good theme for Lent, right? God intervening in our sin and in our death. And, and last week we saw Adam and Eve. We saw them fall in the sin. We saw this ridiculous spiritual program, right, of sewing together fig leaves. And then God becomes a sower, right? He knits together for them out of animal skins a covering. And we said God intervened in their nakedness. And now today, we're going to see God intervene again. At the end of that story, what God does is He puts on Adam and Eve a curse over the whole world, over everything that lives and breathes. And God says, dust you are and to dust you'll return. That's the curse. And now we're going to see God today intervene in that death and in that sin. And He's going to reverse the curse. He's going to give this massive, massive blessing. Listen to what he says. This is what Moses says, Genesis chapter 8. We'll just read part of these verses. We're going to be focusing this morning on verses 1 through 5. So I'll read those verses now. Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Herod, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You, You know this already, that everybody... Everybody wants Abraham to be their father. You know this, right? That everybody sort of wants to stick their flag in him like he's the moon. Or like he's the new world and Christopher Columbus is going to plant his flag in it. Everybody, everybody wants to claim Abraham as their father. And so we have Judaism saying... Abraham's our father. And we have Christianity saying, no, Abraham's our father. And then we have Islam saying, no, Abraham's actually our father. Everybody, everybody wants Abraham to be their father. They want to stick a flag in him. And this is a very old, old debate. This is at least as old as when Jesus walked the earth. Just read John chapter 8. Read it later when you go home. 
And what you'll find is Jesus' opponents saying, no, this is about race. This is about a DNA test. And whoever's got this certain DNA, they are Abraham's children. And Jesus responded to these opponents by saying, but you're trying to murder me. And Abraham never did anything like that. So there's this question hanging out there. Who are Abraham's children? Who's he the father of? And the Apostle Paul, even in his day, a little bit after Jesus, he's still fighting this debate. And we saw this in Romans chapter 4. In fact, the Apostle Paul spends almost the whole chapter trying to answer the question, is it the circumcised who are the children of Abraham or the people who live by faith? And the Apostle Paul gives this answer. He says, so then Abraham is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised. So who are the children of Abraham? What we have here is the great religious paternity test. That's what this is. It's the great religious paternity test. So who are the children of Abraham? But I think there's an even better question before we get into that one. There's an even more important question for us to answer. Why is everybody fighting about him? Why does everybody want to claim him as a father, because we have to admit something about Father Abraham right away. He's a nobody and a nothing. Did you notice that, how Moses introduces him in our lesson? He's a nobody. He's a nothing. This is, this is what he writes about Father Abraham. This is from verse 1. He says, the Lord said to Abram, I mean, that's a little bit jarring, actually, if you think about it. All you have there is his bare, naked name. That's it. There's no trumpet call saying, you're going to meet Father Abraham for the first time. There's no, like, kingly announcement. Look at how good and blameless and awesome this guy is. They just name his name. His name is just sitting there. It's bare naked. And it's all the more jarring when you consider the fact that the last big patriarch to come on the scene is Noah. And Moses can't shut up about Noah. You notice that about, about him? This is what Moses says about Noah. He says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then when the whole world's corrupt, when the whole world's falling apart, Moses goes on to say about Noah, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. I mean, can you describe a person in more glowing terms? I don't think you can. But when we meet Abram for the very first time in the whole Bible, his name is just sitting there bare naked as if he's a nobody and a nothing. You know why that is? Because he was a nobody and a nothing. 
He really was a nobody and a nothing. In fact, if you look at this account very carefully, this is actually the second time that God called him out of Ur. The first time God said, Abram, I want you to leave your people and go to Canaan, Abram didn't make it. He stopped. He ground to a halt for a few decades in a place called Herod. And he continued to worship the idols of his father. It was as if like he was addicted to it. Sort of like a smoker. And he just couldn't quit the gods of his, of his fathers. And so God goes to him again. And this time, Abram goes. It's no mistake. It's no mistake that his name is sitting there. It's just bare, naked, with no praise at all, because Abram was a nobody and a nothing. Even after he obeyed God's call, he's still a nobody and a nothing. Let me read you one particular passage. I think this is really important for us to really get this. This is verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. True enough, amazing obedience, right? True enough, amazing faith. He closed his eyes and he went. But Lot went with him. Now let's just do a little rewind for a second. God had said, what? He said, leave behind your father's household. Now I want to think this through with you for a second. His father had already died. So had his brother, Haran. So the only surviving family that Abram could possibly leave behind was his brother Nahor and his nephew Lot. And so when Abram, he begins to load up the camels to go to Canaan, and Lot thinks, I'm going to go with him, Abram should have said, no, you can't come. But he didn't. Even in the heights of his obedience of God, in the heights of his faithfulness, Abram was absolutely rebellious against the call of the Lord. And I want you to understand something. This is no small sin. It's no small sin. It's at least as big as the bite of the apple. It's at least as big as Cain killing Abel. Because you remember what happens because Lot went along? The rest of the story about Lot being there, and if you think it through all the way through your Bible history, it was actually very problematic for the descendants of Abraham to also have the descendants of Lot right next to them. I mean, this is a big act of disobedience, so you have to ask the question then, why in the world is everybody fighting over Abraham? Why do they want him to be his father? their father. It must not be because of how great Abram was. 
I think it has more to do with the promise, don't you think? Listen to what God promised to Abraham. We'll read it again. He said this. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed by you. There's a lot that we could say about this blessing. It's a sevenfold blessing. God says he's going to do seven things for Abraham, so it's going to be this complete blessing, this massive blessing, this blessing that encompasses the whole world. And then he says, those who curse you, I will curse. So I suppose that has something to do with it, right? That probably helps us answer the question, why would you want Abram to be your father? Well, because you don't want to be on the wrong side of that curse. Right? Because God says if you're going to be an opponent of Abraham, if you're going to go against him, if you're going to have a different faith than Abraham did, well, then you're done. You're toast. You're cursed. You're going you're gonna to die, God says. So I suppose that's part of it, isn't it? That's part of the reason why that Everybody wants Abraham to be their father, but there's more to it, isn't there? Don't you think that everybody wants Abraham to be their father to get in on this blessing? I think that's really what it's about. They want to get in on this blessing. And there's one part of the blessing that we really need to focus in on. Here's what Moses records. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this is, this is a blessing that's going to undo the curse that fell on Adam. Right? This is going to be a universal, this is going to be a, a, a blessing that's going to be for all people of the ground. Everybody who is going to one day turn to ashes, this blessing is... For you, and Abram knew, we have to understand this, Abram knew that it wasn't going to be him that does the blessing. How could he? I mean, think it through. How could a 75-year-old man, all of a sudden, who's an ex-idolater and partially disobedient, <laughs> how is he going to bless all people of every place of every time. How is he going to do that? How is this sort of nobody and nothing going to reach out and touch the lives and take away the death that they were under? How is this Abram going to win forgiveness for all sin for every people of every time. I mean, Abram, he knew it wasn't going to be him. It was going to be through him, but it wasn't going to be him. 
This is it, isn't it? This, this is the big reason. This is why everybody's fighting over Abraham. They want in on this massive, universal blessing. But you know what people are really fighting about when you think about paternity and religious paternity? You know why this question is so important? What people really want to get in on is God as their father. Isn't that true? They want to get in on the fact that God promises through Abram to touch them and change their death and their sin into forgiveness and life. They went in on that. And we have the greatest news in the world, don't we? That God is our Father through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of this blessing. He's the one that turned death into life through His resurrection. He's the one that turned non-forgiveness and sin into forgiveness and life through His cross. I mean, how do we know that God is Father? By the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. This is the great paternity question of every world religion. And we have the best answer of all. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so we put our trust in Him. Just like Abram did. Amen.